I wish you would take your Bibles and turn to Jude, the 24th verse. I think you will receive a great blessing from this. I have a very exciting sermon this morning, but a very serious sermon, perhaps the most serious I have ever preached in all my life. Some months ago I determined, because of the nearness of the Lord, to preach only present truth. And I believe this is a sermon that will help you to be ready to see Jesus. Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I want you to notice this verse. Now unto him. That's talking about Christ. You'll notice two verses back. And he is able, all-powerful. There's nothing that God can't do. This brings courage to me this morning. And he says he can keep you from falling. We always speak of the fall of Adam. He can keep you from sinning. And to present you faultless. That is perfection before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You know, so many, many times, as I have read in the spirit of prophecy, we bring pain to our Lord because of what we do. He goes through Calvary again. But there's one thing that brings joy to Jesus, that he can somehow, through his marvelous grace, forgive you and cleanse you and keep you from falling, and present you faultless. And this is the joy that we can give to our Lord. And may this morning we find the secret of giving Christ such an experience with us. My sermon this morning is divided into three parts. First, what is sin? Secondly, how did Christ overcome sin? And thirdly, how can we achieve victory over sin. Let's take the first part. What is sin? Now the answer will be found in a Bible definition this morning. When we talk about sin, you all know what I'm talking about because every one of you, man, woman, and child, we have all sinned. Romans 3 verse 23. All have sinned. So I'm not talking about something you're not acquainted with. But the question is, how? How do we sin? It's a big question. You know, when we get sick, we go to a physician and he must discover what is wrong with us before he can give us a proper prescription to bring about a healing. And so it is with us. We must find out what is wrong in our lives before the great physician can solve our sin problem. It's very, very important to know the nature of our disease. So let's begin where sin began in this earth some 6,000 years ago. We discover first a very indisputable fact. Adam became guilty of sin by personal choice. Adam chose to sin voluntarily. But what about you and me? 
Now this morning, if you're going to receive a blessing, you must put your thinking cap on. You're going to have to think through every statement that I make, for it is a very serious situation I am talking about. So think it through carefully. Are you guilty of sin because Adam sinned? Now think it through. And since you are a descendant of Adam, therefore you must be guilty because you inherited a fallen nature? Now those are big questions. At this point, we come face to face with a great deception and a great truth. One is false, the other is true. Let's take the false first. If you by chance this morning believe that sin is by inherited nature, then you are guilty because of Adam's sin. This is a false doctrine and is called the original sin by theologians, for it teaches that you are guilty of sin before you had a chance to sin. Now follow me. Such a belief is pure Catholicism. But there is more than this. The moment that you accept such a teaching, you also must accept infant baptism. Why? Because the newborn babe must immediately be baptized to wash away the original sin that he is born with. Such a doctrine is not supported by scripture. It is absolutely false. Let's look at the truth. The historic Adventist Bible doctrine teaches that all sin comes only by choice. Take this man Adam when he sinned. There was nothing within him that would cause him to rebel. He had no desire to turn from God's will. Before he sinned, it was natural for him to do right. It was unnatural for him to do wrong. But after he fell, his very nature was changed. Adam discovered he now had a, quote, a bent, or shall we say a tendency to do evil. Now he wanted to do what before he hated to do. Now it was natural for him to sin. Now it was unnatural for Adam to do right. So when we say that we have inherited a fallen nature, it means that we have inherited a weakness, a tendency to evil. We desire to do wrong. We desire to rebel. You've all seen this in the face of a little child, almost a babe. Mother tells the little one, don't do this, and I have seen, and you have seen little children, they will just turn inside out to do what mother said not to do. Rebellion. Thus, in this life we find it hard to do right, naturally to do wrong. And if you're honest with me this morning, you will admit that you don't need the devil to tempt you. You're well qualified to tempt yourself. Now, as we progress in our study, I want you to keep this in mind, that since we have inherited a tendency to evil, we do not inherit guilt, nor do we inherit condemnation when we are born. 
All that Adam passed on to us is a desire to sin. For sin is not inherited. Sin comes only by personal choice to rebel against God. Sin is when we choose to follow Adam's decision to sin. Then and then only do we become guilty, but never because of what Adam did. This is basic scriptural teaching. I read it in James 4.17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now that we have discovered what sin is, we should also discover the difference between the results of sin and the penalty for sin. You remember what God said to Adam of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? I'm reading Genesis 2.17. Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I suppose I've had a hundred juniors as I have worked with them, come to me and say, how come Adam didn't die that day? Didn't God say he would? And you say that God's word always comes to pass? Here you discover a very wonderful truth of the love of God. For you see, a substitute was placed between Adam and that death that very day. Jesus said, I will die in Adam's place. Jesus took Adam's place immediately. And that is a wonderful truth. Oh, but you say, Brother Nelson, didn't Adam finally pay that penalty when he died 930 years later? No, absolutely not. When Adam died 930 years later, it was the result of his sin. The penalty for his sin was paid by Jesus Christ on Calvary. And never forget that. The penalty for sin is the second death. But sin, we find in, in its inherent consequences, brought about the first death. The first death called, Jesus called, a sleep. But the second death is when the guilt of sin and its penalty must be taken care of. So you see, by choosing to accept salvation in Jesus Christ, you and I never have to die the second death. For the atonement of Jesus Christ forgave the penalty of sin. I feel like saying, praise God. Wonderful. You remember in John 5, 24, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life it, beloved right this moment I don't care what your past has been right now you can pass from death unto life right now believe it you can have everlasting life thank God this means that we will never have to die the second death. And I've got some more news for you. Those of us that are living in these last hours, if we are faithful and are alive when Jesus comes, we will never have to die the first death. 
What a wonderful truth God has given to us. Eternal life means we will never have to die the second death, and we can have it today. Thank you, Jesus, for removing our guilt and our sin, sin that is a result of our personal choice, not the result of being born into the family of Adam. Remember, sin is when we know what God's will is and we choose to go against God's will. Now we come to the second part. How did Christ overcome sin? Now as we begin this part, I trust you will make a decision. You must accept or reject the so-called new theology that is a Catholic doctrine that sin and guilt is inherited in us from Adam. Otherwise, we not only must accept infant baptism, but you have another problem. Immediately, you face the problem about Jesus' birth. You remember that the original sin doctrine that is being accepted so widely today makes it impossible for Christ not to have sin because he too would have been born with sin. And so the Catholic Church has made up another doctrine to take care of this. They call it the Immaculate Conception. Mary was preserved by God in a special way so that she did not sin, therefore Jesus, when he was born, had no sin. But you know, from the Word of God, we find that this is not true. For it teaches that Christ was born exactly like you and me. Historic Adventist doctrine utterly rejects the original sin lie. And it rejects the Catholic doctrine of an immaculate conception. Because we accept only the Word of God, which is confirmed by the Spirit of Prophecy. For in 1 Peter 2.22 it says, He did not sin. Unquote. Now you are ready to discover how Jesus was able to overcome sin. In Philippians 2 verses 5 to 7, it said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and then comes this, but made himself of no reputation. What does that phrase mean? It teaches us that Christ emptied himself of omnipotence. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he laid aside all of his divine power. And he came to earth just as you and I. But you say, well, how in the world, Brother Nelson, did he perform then those miracles that we love to read about? Jesus explained that. He said, I can of my own self do nothing. Well, then how did he do these things? In John 14, 10, it says, he says, the Father dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Jesus lived here on earth just like you and I have to live here. The miracles, the success that he had, the power that he had over sin was because he was totally committed to God. When Jesus came to earth, he voluntarily suspended his godly powers. Furthermore, 
He took upon himself our fallen nature of Adam. Wonder of wonders. For he was made, it says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Romans 8.3 God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Philippians 2.7 And he was made in the likeness of men. That word likeness in both places in the Greek means that Jesus Christ came as a man with the same hereditary traits of ancestry as we have. And as you look back into the ancestors of Christ, you will find David a murderer. You will find him an adulterer. You will go back and find Rahab a harlot. And in the spirit of prophecy in volume 5, page 419, we read that parents transmit their tendencies to evil to their children. So Jesus Christ had the same background as you and I have as a human. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 80, while Adam was created sinless in the likeness of God, Seth his son, like Cain, inherited the fallen nature of his parents. So there's only one possible conclusion. Jesus inherited the same fallen nature that you and I do. Ellen White states in Signs of the Times, October 17, 1900, he bore, and she uses that word, the likeness of sinful flesh. In Review and Herald, page uh, July 17, 1900, she reads, Christ did in reality unite the offending, the inherited nature of man with our nature. Now let's look at a couple of questions. Why did Jesus Christ come to earth? Do you remember that Lucifer charged before the universe? And I'm quoting from Selected Messages 3, page 136. Satan, the fallen angel, had declared that no man could keep the law of God after the disobedience of Adam. How was Jesus going to shut up the devil's mouth and prove that he was a liar? He would come as a man and prove that a man could keep the law. In Review and Herald, May 7, 1901, Christ kept the law. He proved beyond controversy that man also can keep it. But uh, you say, was Jesus really tempted like you and me? Desire of Ages 24. If we had to bear anything which Jesus did not endure, then upon this point Satan would represent the power of God as insufficient for us. So now we have discovered the secret of Christ's power to resist. He totally relied on his Father to give him victory over sin. In Youth Instructor, April 25, 1901, his divinity was hidden. You see, he had laid it aside. He overcame in human nature, relying upon God for his power. Again, in Desire of Ages 24, he exercised in his own behalf no power 
that is not freely offered to us. As a man, he met temptation and overcame in the strength given him from God. You know, that's exciting. For we too can reach out for the same power. We too can be victorious. In Bible Commentary 7, 9, 24, Jesus could only keep the commandments of God in the same way that humanity can keep them. You know, this makes it so clear. I just feel like here's something that I can accomplish. I can do exactly as Jesus did. In Desire of Ages 3.63, as a man he supplicated the throne of God till his humanity was charged with a heavenly current that should connect humanity with divinity. And through continual communion, he received light from God and his experience can be ours. Thank God. God has made a complete way for us to be victorious. In Bible Commentary 7, 929, Jesus came to our world not to reveal what a God could do, but what a man could do through faith in God's power. Think of it, every time you think of Jesus and what he did and how he lived sinlessly, beloved, believe that we can do the same. For it says in Selected Messages 1409, divinity and humanity may be combined in us. Those are thrilling words to me. That brings me now to the third part. How can we who are sinners become victorious. You see, we all know what sin is. We've seen the impossibility in ourselves of overcoming. Now we can see what God can do in us if we will totally surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. For God can produce in us perfection, which is the final process of justification and sanctification. And that's why we reject the doctrine of original sin, which teaches that we were born with sin. We came into this world with guilt. We reject the fact that we do not need baptism to wash away such false sins when we are infants. We reject the papal doctrine of immaculate conception to substantiate that Jesus Christ was not a sinner. We reject that we are sinners because we were born of Adam's seed. But we accept the scriptural teaching that we become sinners only by choice, that by merging our will with the divine will of God, that our characters can thus become sinless before Jesus comes. For Jesus did not sin, he does not sin, and we will not sin if he is in full control of our lives. Let me simplify this. When Jesus Christ is within, sin is out. When sin is in, Christ is out. For Christ and sin cannot sit on the heart's throne at the same time. 
The end process of justification and sanctification matures the character in which we become totally under Christ's control. It is then not what I can do, but what God can do for me. Thus a sinless character is possible. All surrendered Christians may experience it. Now you are ready for Bible perfection, that verse we read. Unto him, unto Christ, for he is able to keep you from falling, to keep you from sin, and to present you faultless, perfect, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is looking for a remnant people at the end of time that will, like he did, prove before the universe that we do not have to sin, that we can keep the law. Philippians 4.3 I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's true. We can also be victorious. 1 Peter 2.21 Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow his steps who did not sin. Why is it that we are hesitating at the end time, to follow Christ's full example, why are we afraid to step out? Have we overlooked this command? In Revelation 3.21, To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and sat down with my Father in his throne. It's clear. God wants to give us victory. He wants to give us perfection. He wants to help us to become sinless. And he will have exceeding joy in presenting such ones to God the Father. In volume 1, page 144, we can overcome. Oh, I like the positiveness of this. Yes, fully and entirely. In our High Calling, page 19, it says, If you will stand under the blood-stained banner, you need never to yield. I, I just love these promises. We ought to be reaching out for this experience. Yes, we can overcome by joining our humanity with the divinity of Christ. Ministry of Healing, page 180. The Savior took upon himself the infirmities of humanity and lived a sinless life that men might have no fear that because of the weakness of human nature they could not overcome. Christ came to make us partakers of the divine nature and his life declares that humanity combined with divinity does not commit sin. Now, if you still have a question in your mind regarding sin before Christ comes, you remember what Jesus Christ always preached when he was here? Many, many times you'll find it in the New Testament. He said, go and sin no more. 
And remember, every command of God comes with a promise. Review in Herald, August 28, 1904. Christ died to make it possible for you to cease to sin. Now, before I close this morning, I want to give you a word of caution. As God's remnant people overcome, they will never, never claim to be sinless this side of heaven. In Sanctified Life, page 7, I read these words. Those who are really seeking to perfect Christian character will never indulge in the thought that they are sinless. Why? Because perfection is not a plateau. Perfection is a continual growth of character. It is a continual process. And now I want to close with an amazing statement. It really shook me when I read it. You know, I have never in my life of all my years of 50 years ever heard a sermon on perfection like this. I have never heard a sermon that before Jesus Christ comes, we can become sinless. Listen to this, Review and Herald, March 10, 1904. He who has not sufficient faith in Christ to believe that he can keep him from sinning has not the faith that will give him an entrance into the kingdom of God. You know, that shook me. You know, that showed me that I have some work to do. I need a deeper surrender as we sang, Lord, plant me on higher ground. God's thoughts for me are higher than my thoughts can reach. If I'm getting to read to ready to meet Jesus and I believe he's coming soon, there is an experience that I must have. What about you? Are you pleading for a complete surrender every day? Are you reaching out for the power? Are you asking God to touch your life with his divinity that you may experience the same victory that Jesus Christ had when he was here on earth? Permit me once more to give you a brief summary. No one is, who is perfect in God's sight will feel that he is perfect. Perfection demands a close relationship with Christ. Perfection requires entire cooperation with Christ. Perfection is the merger of our will with the will of Christ. Perfection is Christ-likeness. Perfection is a mature life with the Holy Spirit in full control. Will you accept that challenge this morning with me? One more thought. The upward look. Page 303. Christ took humanity and bore the hatred of the world that he might show men and women that they could live without sin. Oh, it's one thing, brothers and sisters, to make a mistake. We have a God always willing to forgive. And he will do that for you this morning, instantly. But, brothers and sisters, he wants us to climb higher. 
He wants us to live by his power so that we, before he comes, have come to a place where Jesus Christ can present us as sinless, faultless, in exceeding joy. Man's impossibility is God's possibility. Let's reach out for it. Let us pray. Loving Father, we are faced with some very serious questions. We know our hearts, Lord, we are not ready. But, oh, today we pray thee that thou wilt renew faith. May it increase this week. May the time soon come in our lives that we are so strong in thy faith, believing that thou canst, can keep us from falling. Oh, give us this experience, Lord, that we may be ready to meet thee. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.